0: Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I'm one of your co hosts. My name is Dave Gurney. I'm here with Joe Hilliard. And it's going to be just us in this first half.
1: Yeah. We'll have, yeah. We'll have a friend stop in later.
0: That's exciting.
1: Always like that. And we'll, in the second half, we'll be doing uh, Glass Onion, the Knives Out movie.
0: Right. Because we're kind of doing two new releases this week. We got a year. Yeah. Lots of catch up to do. But uh, but these are actually pretty current because Glass sure. Onion did just drop on Netflix. In um, the film that we're going to start the episode with. Really did just hit theaters for yeah. the very first time um, just a few days ago, uh, but before we get there, talking about film, let's get something in our glasses, Joe. Um, thirsty. I bought this six pack the other day at uh, our local uh, HEB. Mm-hmm the The supermarket chain here that sort of dominates in Texas, um certainly in South Texas.
1: well deserved. They're a fantastic grocery chain,
0: yeah, they they do a lot of things right. Um, and this is, you know, similar to the status that h e b has as a grocery chain in Texas. This is a brewery that has that kind of status in Texas. This is the Spetzel brewery. Um, they are most well-known for their Shiner line of beers, the the Shiner Bach yeah. being the flagship
1: there. Shiner Bach was a huge transition beer for me, moving right. away from my Miller Lights and my Coors Lights. I sound weird. Do I sound weird to you? You don't sound okay. too weird. Moving away from my Coors Lights and my Miller Lights, and then Shiner became that college beer uh, when I wanted to, Try something that was a little darker, a little more flavor. And Shiner's the one that is the, Shiner Bach, is the one that when I say I think that the quality has gone down over time as their distribution has grown. Many people will counter that with, no, Joe, I think your palate has
0: probably yeah, gotten
1: I, a little more mature. I think for
0: a lot of us, that's probably more more the case is that, you know, it's a beer that you maybe had yeah. early on, maybe when you were just getting interested mm-hmm. in beers outside, the very typical yeah. mainstream macro breweries. But when I'm out and about, and I yeah. want
1: something at a bar yeah. that doesn't have craft beers, Nine times out of 10 in Texas, certainly South Texas, a Shiner will be available and that's where I will go.
0: Yeah, it's it's a reliable uh, option that, that's available uh, all over. But they also you know branch out and do some things. Yeah. We've actually done a few of their beers in the past, and maybe I'll look that up later to, to share exactly what it is that that we have done. Um, but but here we're going to do at least a couple more this episode because we're going to do two from the six pack. It's not a six pack of just a single beer. It's actually a six pack of three different beers, mm-hmm. two cans of each, that they call. The Shiner Bonfire Brewskis. And
1: this is the weekend, the one that we just went through, where a bonfire would have been a great thing. That's it right. To be outside. We yeah. got down into the 20s, which is rare <laughs> down here where we live, yeah. two nights in a row. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The, the cold has made it here, right? I think a lot of the country was kind of in the grips of this Arctic, uh, you know, cold front that had sort of pulled down uh, over most of, uh, you know, the the United States here. And we, we were not an exception, we were in that. So yes, if you were cozying up by a campfire, maybe this would have been mm-hmm. the exact six pack you would have wanted.
1: But three new flavors for them.
0: Yeah, three that I had never heard of. So that was part of the attraction here. It's like, okay, Shiner's doing some different, th- or you know, Spezels doing some different things with Shiner. Um, the the three in the pack um, include a vanilla cold brew coffee ale that I don't know that we're going to get to here on the the episode, but I'll drink it at some point and I maybe report you back on after hours. I believe you. Um, but I think in this for this first instance, sure. and we'll we'll follow it up with the second one in the, in the second half. For the first half, um, this was the one that I think kind of stood out to me as being kind of most outside the norm for Shiner. <laughs> in terms of the flavor profile they're going for. It is the Chocolate Raspberry Porter. This is, as they describe it, an ale brewed with cacao nibs, raspberry, and natural flavors added. So I don't know how I feel about that, but nonetheless, I'm excited about raspberry and chocolate, and it's 6% alcohol by volume. Looks like it's pouring pretty dark. It or? looks like
1: a porter. It's got a nice yeah. Head on it. Yeah,
0: L- little translucent, so um, it's it maybe not the darkest of dark, but but
1: right where it should be. I'm definitely smelling the chocolate and the raspberry. And I, before I take a sip, okay, I have low expectations. I don't exactly know if I know why, and I think it's because a lot of shiners. Adjunct seasonal beers aren't my favorite for those adjuncts. Sure, chocolate and raspberry and a porter for spetzel Brewery seems like a stretch. I yeah. hope they pull it off.
0: Me too. Me too. But I'm also, I'm also getting the chocolate. It's kind of more like a bitter, not, not like, but like a dark chocolate sure. than uh, than the milk
1: chocolate or yeah. th- that you might expect. No, you're absolutely right. I brought a surprise. Um, I have a little cocaine. And I've got um, a little canister of ether here because I thought that might help pair with the movie we intend on discussing here at the first half. I didn't know if that'd be something you'd be interested in.
0: Why not, Joe? I mean, come on. Is it, If we're, if we're going to be in the right mind. <laughs> Great foley work there, Give me a second. <laughs> All
1: right. Okay. Uh, Let me tell you who's on the poster of Babylon, the new epic uh, period comedy drama by uh, Damien Chazelle, who uh, almost won the Oscar <laughs> <laughs> for, La
0: for La Best, La best Picture, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Notoriously was announced as the Best w- Picture winner. Yeah, right.
1: and prior to that, no, I guess following that was Whiplash. Help me with the order. No,
0: Whiplash was before. Okay.
1: And Whiplash, I watched recently with my daughter who had never seen it, who fell in love with it. And I am a big, big Whiplash fan. Yeah. J.K. Simmons in that movie. Yeah. Even Miles Teller in that movie. I love Whiplash. So when I see up on the screen at the trailer, which I saw maybe 30 times, Babylon by award-winning filmmaker Damien Chazelle, I was uh, excited to see it. Uh, it's a sprawling movie it's three hours and about 10 minutes it is the, the self described epic through the early roaring 20s and then you see some um, extended uh, kind of some smaller scenes even later than that but there's title cards 1920 1921 1922 as Brad Pitt these are the names on the poster Brad Pitt Margot Robbie Diego Calva. Jean Smart who we both love or uh, you know I think you're a Hacks Hacks fan yeah Yeah, she's gotten a lot of love yeah she's had kind of
0: a late career renaissance in in the past few years
1: Jovan Adepo and Lee Jun Lee they are the uh, six names that appear on the poster the film follows the employees mostly in the acting community, but you see plenty of employees that are below the line uh, right. in, in the different of a movie studio that is headed by Jeff Garland, who is uh, you see the actors, you see the, um, the the different films. you see the transition into talkies uh, with a very big kind of wink at Singing in the Rain, which is a film that covered that period prior to now. And you see Margot Robbie, who I think is the star of the film, even though it is very much an ensemble. Yeah. Brad Pitt is their established kind of, uh, who who would he be? Cary Grant, but not really at this studio. The big marquee. Yeah.
0: um, The name that I've been hearing people throwing around. Oh, my gosh. uh, Fairbanks. Douglas Fairbanks. Yeah. Sure. You get
1: asses in seats back in the 20s. Margot Robbie plays a I want to be a star kind of character. Yeah. Stumbles into an opportunity. No, not a, she is a star. That's right. That's she point. is a star. Are, they just need to realize You are a star it. or you aren't a star. Yeah. She just hadn't been discovered yet. She stumbles into an ability to do an acting scene and nails it and becomes the new ingenue of this studio. Um, the wild child yeah the wild child and then you know then the uh the actor who I closed my phone and Diego Calva and yeah, yeah they meet like kind Manny. of in similar situation where breaking into hollywood uh and he has been at the beginning of the film kind of like he's called the mexican he is a mexican national who's come over to break into show business or hollywood but at, at the beginning of the film he's Managing security, or a part of a security. He's part of the service for, staff. Uh, yeah,
0: for, for Wallach, the the studio boss. Sure. That he you helps
1: Margot Robbie him. crash a party, and she says, "Do you have any drugs?" And he takes her to the drug basement, <laughs> <where> the, <laughs> the drug catacombs. A, yeah, it, there is a uh, enough cocaine to, to you know to choke a, a the, cocaine a opium. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, they have it all. And while high. Uh, on Coke, I think mostly they begin talking about their plans. Yeah. And then the film then shows the execution of those plans. Yeah. For Margot Robbie, a troubled character who continues to remain getting into trouble. Yeah. There's one path. For him, a very like a young go getter, yeah. I'm going to do whatever it takes to be a success, a much different path. Those paths tend to weave through the many years that the film covers. Which is about the excess of Hollywood at the time.
0: Uh, well, peeling back the curtain, right? I mean, so th- this is you know, uh, Hollywood is much mythologized, right? Ho- Hollywood has mythologized itself. We mythologized the Babylon
1: all- years. That's not a term was ma- invented for this film, right? That's what it was called back in that that age of crazy success, right, right,
0: right. And you know, in the notorious. Um, gossip book Uh uh, uh, by Kenneth Anger, Hollywood Babylon, that sort of in the, I think he published it in the 50s, uh, was sort of uncovering all of these excesses that were going on behind the scenes back in the 20s, 30s, 40s, right? Um, The period that's been, you know, kind of covered in this film. Um, So yeah, this idea of, you know, this den of sin, especially, um, you know, like you said, the, the, the opening party sequence that we get here, which is, Nearly a half hour long right. before we even get to that title of the, the title film, card, you yeah. know, we kind of start with the cold open yeah. of uh, Manny there, the Calva character, um, you know, trying to hustle an elephant to this party, which is, which is no <laughs>
1: sin. I, I, sin? No, yes, I, I like it, but excess. I, yeah, and the the owner just wants an elephant to come into the party. What is the elephant supposed to do? No, I don't be there, Man can appear, <laughs> and you begin to see uh, a. Of a lot of thoughts about this movie. Sure. You begin to see a purposeful uh, presentation of chaos and anxiety. Yeah. Along the lines of Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems is done so much more subtly and I think more tastefully. But here it's all about the excess. So yeah. you don't have to be quite as tasteful. And as they're well, hustling huss- this elephant up a hill yeah, in, in what seems to be an impossible scenario... Let's also have a scene where the elephant takes a shit, diarrhea all over everybody for an extended period of time. And David, in that moment, I was laughing my ass off. Oh, it, w- the elephant was too. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, <laughs> no, I, well, at least its ass was off. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I, I hear where you're coming from, though. I, I think the comparison to Uncut Gems throws me off just slightly because Uncut just gems
1: anxiety. I get where you're coming. The, the
0: energy. I yeah. get. I get where you're coming from with the energy. Uncut Gemzo is a in-depth character study where it's really about that Adam Sandler character mm-hmm. the name is escaping me um
1: Benny uh, yeah, that's the brother yeah that's th-
0: the that's the filmmaker Benny Safty. yeah I'll look it anyhow up. um but, we should know this story. but nonetheless you know he, he is you know sort of our main guy we're watching the whole time this one is more of an ensemble piece i do agree with you Jill that Margot Robbie's character Nelly um Nelly Leroy is The main thrust of the film, but nonetheless, Diego Calva as Manny plays an important role. Jack Conrad, the Brad Pitt character, who's a little bit more, you know, at the apex of his career maybe and about to hit the decline. Um, But even you know, Gene Smart and all these other these other figures who kind of come into the mix, I think, are important. So there's a lot of films I was thinking about when I was watching this one. Um, Uncut Gems wasn't one of them. Howard Howard Ratner. Oh. (laughs) howard Retton. okay um howie probably so but you know immediately um you know films well chazelle's earlier films right whiplash and la la land both have a very musical quality i mean la la land is straight up a musical yeah um and he likes the rhythm of music he likes the rhythm of music to match the rhythm of the editing to match the um, intensity of the scenes as they ratchet up and they kind of ratchet down, you know, crescendo and decrescendo. Um, It felt like the, we were continually being thrust into these pieces that would sort of like boil over and yeah. it, you know, things would get intense with the music with the, 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 and then kind of come back down and we'd get a black screen and then we'd come back in and we, you know, maybe start small and we'd ratchet back up. And so it was all of these kind of, um, movements, I guess, if we're going to c- compare it to the, the world of classical music, right? Like a symphonic movement that are taking place where we're hearing musical themes, we're hearing, uh, you know, we have certain character tropes that are kind of recurring and all that. So it definitely saw a connection to those. Although I think more so than La La Land, this film had me thinking about other musical films like, well, the films of Baz Luhrmann, I, you know, Moulin Rouge, Elvis, uh, you know, um, what have you that were, you know, sort of these kind of propulsive big explosive Um, you know, epic scale kind of films that yes, take on maybe a period like with Moulin Rouge, a a historical period, a moment, but bring in lots of things that are like the music in this film, even though it was sort of based in the big band jazz of the period was also somewhat anachronistic and they were juicing it up. They were doing things with it that made it hotter than it would have been at the time that made it a little more faster tempo, you know? So, so there's things like that going on. But honestly, you know, the films that I was thinking about as it went on the most, um, one, once upon a time in Hollywood. Okay. Uh, I mean, hard not to with uh, Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie in two of the leads here, capturing a moment of cinema history, three hour plus running time, um, trying to do that kind of, you know, so I was thinking of that pretty regularly throughout the film also thinking a little bit about a film I had watched just before this, kind of in preparation for it, because I'll, I'll admit this here on the podcast, I had not gotten around to seeing Wolf of Wall Street. Mm. And uh, and so I finally did, yeah. and was seeing a lot of resonance yes. there yeah. with, with Wolf of Wall Street and what was going on with that. Similarly,
1: like r- creating, editing, and score to help simulate a, a drug-fueled, Excess. Right. That's that's what's happening here in a lot of these scenes.
0: And Boogie Nights w- was another film that came to my mind yeah. a few times, um, especially when we get to the Tobey Maguire section of the film. And I, I was thinking a lot there. So, you know, spoilers, folks. If, yeah. if, if you don't want to have this spoiled for you. Margot you know, Robbie has a gambling problem. Uh, right.
1: It's alluded to throughout the film, but at, at, at the end... She comes back to Manny and says, I'm in big, I'm in big trouble. I'm in big trouble. If I right. don't pay these guys $85,000, they're going to pour acid on my genitals. <laughs> Yes, and they yes. mean it. Like she says yes. So there's a whole root. Uh, there's a whole scene where they where Manny, who's constantly trying to solve Margot Robbie's problems because he loves
0: her. Right, he's trying to. You know, we see her career rise, yeah. but then we also see it falling. He's trying to right. turn her into a different kind of star. Gathers the money and work. takes it to Tobey Maguire, yeah. who
1: is the, the the guy that she owes the money to.
0: Yeah, a sort of ga- gambling one would assume organized crime right. boss kind yeah. of figure. Although a definitely an askew Eccentric. one, one that's like, you know, in leagues with uh, you know, um uh, uh Dean Stockwell in uh uh Blue Velvet or or Alfred Molina in Boogie Nights. That or, that's the scene that I was thinking of there.
1: Or um um Andy Warhol in Oliver Stone's The Doors. Yeah, you know, yeah. There I mean, you go. Just yeah. an odd character right. who doesn't care how odd you think he is because he has more money than you.
0: Right. Danny. And you know, in in McKay, the the McGuire character insists on taking them to this. I can't even remember. Do you remember what the club was called? No, or what but it, it was like a sewage. It, it was sort of this underground that went down into an underground. Right. But and I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Irreversible. Uh, I guess but I haven't. The, I'm not recommending it necessarily okay. but this is this is notorious for many reasons but its opening scene is these characters searching for this person who they want to exact revenge from right um and they're going into this club that they kind of descend through these different levels and what's there it's a very dante-esque sure it's one kind or two,
1: of and toby McGuire says it's one or two floors down right, right? and then once they get the to where the bottom be-
0: is oh actually it's going to be one more yeah.
1: <laughs> and in this and before you get to the point sure in this club is snm uh, uh people in bondage people that might have been there for a very long time Ugh. A lot of um, uh, uh, a lot of is the club at the Hard Rock Cafe uh, Beecher's Madhouse and they employ little people and fire jugglers and it's just this feast for the senses and that's what many of these parties and nightclub scenes are like in this film yeah so
0: it, it you know what what a strange piece there but that had me thinking of boogie nights yeah. and that whole sort of like subplot there with the the drug deal gone awry yeah. and you know all that with it. so there were all these smatterings of films that i knew that i feel like chazelle knows mm-hmm. chazelle is is you know whatever you think of him he is a movie obsessed filmmaker sure. we're seeing that on display here i mean la la land was yes. already very yes. much yes. wearing that on its sleeve but here, I think, in even more c- clear detail and and going much further and deeper with it yeah. than, than has done, been done before. Really, with the hope, I think, of creating a different perspective on this era that we kind of know certain things about. I mean... There are stories that I think have reached the popular imagination, like the Fatty Arbuckle story, which is definitely referenced here in the very opening of the film. And that first party scene that we see unfold where we have, I don't think the character is ever, he might get named, but
1: um, blimp blimp, they call them all kinds oh, of right. derogatory names for an overweight person. Right.
0: But you know, where Fatty Arbuckle was with a woman in his room she dies. It tries to get you know cover it up. Yeah. Like what what's gone on there? Godfather two, very yeah, very similar kind of scenario going yeah. on here. So it's it's interesting to see him take some of those stories, kind of reframe them slightly, uh-huh. but also put them on put put it on display that this wasn't an an anomaly. This was the norm. This was. These were when you reach a certain level of success. Well, this, but this was an industry that was not well-defined or it was just getting well-defined, I should say Mm -hmm. what I, some of the stuff I loved about this film and, and I think, you know, we, we've been dancing around it long enough. I'll say, I like this film. Yeah. Okay. I think it's, I think it's doing a lot of things. Yes, it is. I think it does a number of them very well. I'm not disagreeing with you yet. I think that what it doesn't do so well is sort of pull them together into a package where it all kind of works together as coherently as he thinks it's working for us. And I think when it takes its bigger swings towards the end, I don't know that they land as effectively as he's hoping for. But I like but I like the film and I like that it's so ambitious. And one of the things that I really love about it is that's really the second real set piece of the film. After we get the title card, mm-hmm. it's the next day, right? We've had the big party. Uh, Nelly has expressed that I'm I am a star. I'm going to make my way onto a movie set. It's going to happen. Manny's I'm going to be on a movie set too. We'll be there together. That's
1: our buckle. Uh, the the girl that he kills. (laughs) Yes. Was supposed to be in the film. So that creates an opening for Nellie. Pick the only awake woman dancing. Nellie. Right. She'll get her on set tomorrow. She'll do the role. turns out she's, Friggin' incredible at the acting required silent acting she's
0: yeah. she's great at crying on cue that's yeah. the big thing that she's able to do um and i love that scene when the director goes back one more thing can we try this she's like but, yeah, yeah sure let's do it yeah. but before like that second day right right when they show up at the studio or the lot right that lot how cool is that that is what filmmaking was Yeah in Six or seven the 1920s, the you have time. all, the, right, which is what's happening on a movie studio lot, but this is an open air lot. This is silent film folks. This is something that we don't think about. You don't need sound stages when you're not recording live sync sound. Right. You have open air because you're using the available natural lighting that's mm-hmm. out there. Um, you, you have sets that are literally constructed like wood platforms that just have, you know, like little theater stages that are set up on this like desert landscape, California, Southern California.
1: Only concerned with the small scope of
0: the viewfinder with these live musicians, the
1: color pre Panavision,
0: right? Live musicians playing to help sort of create ambiance for the actors and, you know, kind of put them in the mood and get, and get them ready for it. But you see that all unfold. I loved that sequence of the film so much, getting to see all these different elements of how films were made at the time, what they were able to capture. The You know, the cameras constantly breaking down as they're filming the battle sequence uh, in the film
1: that- uh, Manny the, proving himself by rushing back to L.A. and back before sunset to, all the cameras are broken, right. we need one more. Yeah. His tenacity, his, mm. his you know, uh, in, what am I trying to say? Like he's gonna do whatever. Yeah, it takes right. To, he, the to tenacity. Keep, to he's get he, the job.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Proving himself. So, I mean, what I some of what I love most about this film is how. It takes something that we may all know about, Hollywood, the the sort of building of the studio system, the the move to talkies. But it's, it reveals so much about the behind the scenes and in ways that I think, yes, it's out there. It's not that this stuff has all been hidden. There have been books written about it. There have been, But I don't know that I've ever seen a film that has put these things together in a way akin to this, as, as well as this.
1: I leaned over to Aislinn, we saw it moments before I headed over here today. Yeah. Because of Christmas holidays, everything else. I said, he's trying so hard to make a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Yeah, Boogie Nights. And it's not a criticism. Boogie Nights and There Will Be Blood. This sprawling, slow, but not slow at all, Yeah, epic that's spanning a long period of time. Yeah. Showing you the key pieces of the story to understand the careers of the Brad Pitt and the Margot Robbie, and you know, the other. yeah, he doesn't land it. You don't think but so, yeah, exactly as you said, David. Yeah. And I hate it when we agree so, 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 <laughs> it's so lockstep. I'd love to get into a fight with you, but today, may not, may like, maybe with nine, <laughs> maybe we'll get the fight about that, sure, yeah. sure. Sean will be here to referee, yeah. <laughs> um. But we're watching a filmmaker in his ascension. And we're watching a filmmaker that was given more resources to do things based upon his previous successes. And if you consider that trajectory, I think this is still positive trajectory. I I liked this movie a lot. A lot. Aislinn leaned over to me. They're making movies so long now. Glass Onion, we might talk about that too. This was 310. I never thought it dragged. I did go take a bathroom break because I yeah, was at Alamo and I having a couple little libations to help me get along. But the picture, what he's putting onto that screen, and the excess of those parties. A family member of ours, when they learned that we were going, said, "I've heard that movie is like basically pornographic." I don't know where this person is getting their information. It well, is there showing is, excesses,
0: there is definitely some explicit. Sure. There's, there's. A lot of nudity right off the bat. That, I mean, at, the the, different at parties, that, that party, there's scene. people and there is having sex. There is right fornicating there. going on. Now, yeah. there's no. You're not seeing uh, penetration. I, I love it when you say fornicating. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you, you know, so there are things that go on. You know, this is a graphic film. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there are definitely some. There's suicide, yeah. right? Um, there's you know full uh frontal nudity there's that elephant diarrhea we've established th- r- r- absolutely right mm-hmm. and the the toby Maguire sequence where we're getting you know like yeah sort of you know hey, was that, bondage was s&m
1: ether was he under the influence of ether they with were drinking the red, drink, with the, the, red eyes the
0: cocktail and... that they had they said was whatever mixed with ether so yes i don't but yeah why, why his skin was that tone yeah i i think I don't know what that had to do. He was a vampire, or what? I don't know. Um, but you, you know, so I get it. And this is, you know, this is one <laughs> that I definitely knew going into it. I'm like, I'm not going to bring my my young daughter, who is interested in R-rated films now, mm-hmm. and you know, like we're having, we're I get it. But I like this is one that I'm probably sure. not ready for her to see yet, and I, I, I don't I, know. I might have made the same call. Yeah. So you know, I I hear what you're saying. It's not pornographic, and I think there's a reason for all because these things were happening and I think it's reason enough oh, yeah, to, I never, to be showing it I never felt uncomfortable. But, I was no no but large. but having I understand where that reputation but where may be built is that coming it?
1: from who's selling that story doesn't really matter well I liked this movie a lot David I, yeah. I, I I read read a couple of headlines uh Babylon bombs at the box office and against Avatar it's gonna I, I would hate to think and I again I said this last week or the week before. The game where the one that's making the most money is some kind of notion of its of its merits. Yeah, I don't play that anymore in modern day Hollywood, especially post COVID Hollywood. We're seeing a weird transition point where art auteur filmmakers, and I'm going to put Chazelle in that category. I think he earns it here, and with La La Land too. That's that's might not be everybody's I was, cup of tea. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of La La Land, but.
0: It, that given is singular th- vision given the critical Executed. and popular success that it had it's hard to refute that he didn't that he he's made a name right. for himself but
1: yeah. i would hate to think that these kinds of filmmakers are squeezed out to put this kind of non-establishment you know content in front of us or if you want to work at a higher level you're going to have to do these kinds of titles as a studio for hire director. Right. I I'm glad that we could see this now and I would recommend it to every single person that's listening. You're going to feel it drag here and there, but you're watching an artist, I think making something singular. Yeah. I I'm until a scene that we'll get to in one second. (laughs)
0: <laughs> um so yes I I agree with you know the, the as you said before Joe you know like the, we seem to be pretty closely aligned here in how we reacted to the film I do think it's it's frustrating to hear already that the you know the way that we're we're telling the story of this film is that it was it's essentially a failure it seems to be a critical success but a popular failure right in the in the sense that it's not making the money that it was even expected to. Like, it, it it wasn't expected to make Avatar money. Sure, of course not. But even the lower target that was set for it, it's not quite meeting, which is a little bit sad because, you know, I I think some of it speaks to, I mean, who are stars? What's Do, do stars have any power? Do we even have stars now? Because Brad Pitt can't, guarantee you an opening weekend he had a good he had a good run with bullet train this year and so like it's not that he's dead in the water and but he can't open a film if he can't open this one margot robbie i mean who is a more top of Hollywood figure right now.
1: I saw, uh, and I saw the trailer for Barbie, we, right? We are both excited to see that movie
0: and ma- many I'm excited as well. Yeah. But uh, the
1: character is the star, not necessarily Margot Robbie right. playing. Her.
0: And I mean, this is an ensemble film, so it kind of makes sense in some ways. The star of that movie, as far as I'm concerned, is Greta Gerwig, the director, yeah. co-writer. Yeah. yeah. But you know, here you're kind of in a, in a situation where can a film like this even exist? In this landscape, or how much longer can a film like this exist? Now you
1: it had to have had a large budget. Yeah, I, I don't stars know. notwithstanding, it's just so epic and and it's. Period and all of those things that will tick up the absolutely line so, production seventy budget.
0: close to eighty million is what okay, that's what's a little lower estimated. than I even imagined that would be which is impressive that they're able to do sure. as much here because like you say a lot gets accomplished here in this film and you do have some big stars mm-hmm. who probably took lower salaries than what they could command yeah. just to be able to do a project like this, um, but it's but it's a little bit sad because. And that said, the other side of that is I totally get why it's not working for a general audience. Right. This is a film that I think, even though I wouldn't call it pornographic, I think there are a lot of folks who, if they went to go see this as the new Brad Pitt Margot Robbie film, would be a little bit shocked, especially if they hadn't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> you know? But you know where, or where that at least had Quentin Tarantino's name on it, mm-hmm. where people think of. Oh, it's going to be violent. There's going to be violence. And that one even maybe scales back the violence in a way. Tarantino
1: gets people to theater.
0: No, but that's what I'm saying. He, you know, part of his selling point is that. And so people go in. But this, if you just go in thinking like, well, it's about Hollywood. And it's like, it's a darker film than I think the general movie going audience is going to want to see. the trailer
1: sells that. The trailer sells a darker film. Margot Robbie and this guy who I don't know. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, turns out to be the Manny character. Doing coke together. Doing coke, and, yeah. and there's coke under her nose that she has to wipe off. Right. They're all frantic and manic. And then you have Brad Pitt coming in doing some slapstick. That's yeah. the trailer of the film. Yeah. It's nothing like the well It is and it is It good. is. Okay, so uh, without going into the reasons why the film fa- fa- fast forwards... And Manny comes back to Hollywood in the, I want to say, 40s, 50s? 50
0: 52.
1: And he is by himself. Because it's when
0: Singing in the Rain right. has come out.
1: He yeah. goes and he goes to see Singing in the Rain in the theater alone. And he has, he sees in front of him the story of the talkies that he just, that he had gone through earlier in the film. Right. Brings back all of the memories. And then there's a scene that is all about, and we've seen this a few times this year, Fableman's just recently, the power of cinema. Yeah. But what this film does, and I couldn't wait to talk about this with you, was it it takes it out of period, and you begin to see the history of cinema uh, uh, as if you were watching it on the movie theater screen that Manny is watching it on, right? that goes from... Uh, Metropolis, and uh, I think there's a little scene from uh, The Man with a Movie Camera, and yeah. the On uh, on what is it where they slice the eyeball? Unchained uh, Thank you. Into and through, and he puts Avatar in this montage. He did, and I think that that was a fantastic idea for him to do. Yeah. I mean, even if he didn't know exactly when it might be released, but that it was released during Avatar. But you also see not only Avatar, but 2001 A Space Odyssey. Like, in other words, all these evolutionary moments in film. Yeah. Which is not what the character's watching on the screen. Now this is specifically presented to the audience of the story I've just told you of Babylon, Hollywood. Yeah. This is the outcome. This is the output. Yeah. And you love it. Yeah. And I... I, I thought it was brave and bold and a little on the nose. What was the scene with all the dripping uh fluids, the different colored fluids? Think, was that from a movie, right? Well, I don't know. It
0: was making me think of some of Stan Brakhage's stuff or but he paints on the film or he did paint on the film and mark on the film directly. Um I don't know if that was I don't know if that was a specific experimental filmmaker or if that was something that Chazelle just put together yeah. himself okay. for this. Okay,
1: so that being said, this Little extended sequence of mm-hmm. the history of cinema that is out of place for the storyline that we're seeing. Right. But what did you think of that? Was that a bold choice? Or not a hammy. I on think the it's nose bold. Choice? I think it's bold,
0: and I think it is. I, I mean, I think it's both. I think it was a big. It's like I felt like this entire movie was a big swing. It's just like him over and over again. It's like I'm gonna tell this big story about this formative moment in Hollywood history this big moment of technological change, this big moment of what it meant to be a star and who could be a star and all that. And then I'm gonna flash you to where somebody who was in there in that moment sees how it gets, how it gets narrativized, how it gets memorialized through film itself with the singing in the rain stuff, which, You know, you were mentioning before, if you weren't already thinking of that film, it's only because you haven't seen it. I mean, if you've seen Singing in the Rain, you recognize the Nellie character, right? Margot Robbie. A big part of why she is not able to make the transition from the silent films to the talkies is because she—her voice.
1: Jersey accent. And it comes across as She's got like a rough—exactly. Which which is funny because when you watch those 30s, 40s, 50s, early talkies— why are all these Americans sporting these like nouveau Madonna like British accents? Yeah. And it's it was elocution like Yeah. Well, we, we, brought, we, borrowed from the stage, yeah. borrowed from Yeah, they, these kind of We're presenting that as elevated dialogue voice. Yeah. 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 So and she didn't have it so she gets cut out of the whole thing.
0: Right. So but but that's very much a huge part of singing in the rain uh-huh. and then also the musical sequences you see them doing Singing in the Rain. There's a sequence where you see them filming the film that the original Singing in the Rain, the the song was used in, which is, so there's all of these references. So finally you get to see it like, oh, this is, you know, we've kind of returned there. But he even takes you beyond that with that montage that you're talking about where he basically, it, it seems like it's Manny having this kind of almost out of body experience where he's so overcome by seeing this version of events that he had lived through and how it gets brought to the screen and how it's entertaining an audience. Now, even though it was real problems that he had to deal with and real, you know, like real life issues, but here it's entertainment. And what do we do? We turn these things into entertainment. Like we, we may be troubled and, angsty and blah 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 but when it comes down to it what are we doing we're creating these things to wow people we're creating these things to send people on these you know sort of uh you know near religious experiences in the theater right and i i don't know i mean it there was, was all a little on the nose for it me, was but i enjoyed the sequence <laughs> I, know what I mean very similar reaction i laughed during it and I was only—it was me and only one other person in the theater, and he was in the very back row, and I was in the very front row, as you would expect. Um, so we, we had no contact, but I didn't know he was there. He laughed a
1: couple times, but not as much as me. I couldn't remember if we had done "Singing in the Rain" or not.
0: And I not. and I just—I mean—but I was kind of—you know—my eyes popped open, and I thought like. He's doing it. He's making this like, he's like, folks, I'm putting this all out here on display. This is what goes into this stuff. This is the heart and soul that people, this is the trials and tribulations that people go through to make this stuff that you see. And I'm going to show you, okay, why do they do it? Why do people put themselves through this? Why does Jack need to shoot himself in the head when he's like, because when it's great, it's amazing and w- and w- and when it wows people it really wows them and it brings them into this new state of being so i i think i ultimately went with it um I, even though it feels, it, very, it, it feels very it feels very self-congratulatory self-congratu- yeah. too it's we like
1: talked about brad pitt's performance what would you think
0: i thought pretty good yeah i i, I had no problem i thought all the performances were good yeah. i didn't really i mean like you said before um, I think you said it, or did you say it before we started recording? Diego Calva, I did not really know before this film. Yeah. I thought he did a nice job as mm-hmm. Manny, but it's kind of a an understated role. He has to be. He's like the calm and the maelstrom of, of everything. He's yeah. he's the producer. He's yeah. the guy who's able to actually make things happen.
1: I heartily recommend this movie. Yeah. I really think it deserves your support. Yeah,
0: I, and I think Robbie's fantastic in oh, it. God. I mean, I, I, I really, you know, she is she has long been somebody I mean I tanya was was definitely for me the breakout role yeah but now having seen Wolf of Wall Street I can say I saw it you know I saw it there I'm seeing it certainly um with you know this film and I'm looking very much forward to Barbie I mean I feel like she is somebody who is capable of doing so much
1: um went to Alamo uh, they're doing a thing there where they do it all the theater chains now or six classic films. You can come see Grease. You can come see Princess Bride. They're doing uh, six films about Hollywood. One of them is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. I thought to myself, Let's do a meetup. Let's do a beer and a movie meetup at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh. It's yes, we've all seen it, and but let's um, potentially get together again. That could be fun. There also Mulholland Drive is in that same. That would be incredible to see on the big screen. Yeah, I have to look away when they go behind the dumpster because that scene freaks me <laughs> out to this day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what we lo- we both liked Babylon. We both yeah. had a little few flaws. It's uh, an artist doing something and swinging big, and I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. But what did we think of Shiner? I don't know if they're even swinging big, but I said at the beginning of the episode they're swinging off-brand. They're doing yeah. something here with this chocolate raspberry porter, six percent ABV. Mm-hmm. I said I had low expectations. Well, how did it turn out for you?
0: So I will I will give this one a you know a nice um, I'm gonna give it like a B okay yeah. I, th- I think this is a really drinkable chocolate raspberry porter I agree Um, I think the raspberry comes off a little bit fakey raspberry I and agree. I think that's the natural flavor piece here uh-huh. that that's the only thing that kind of gives me pause where it kind of feels more like a an additive than yeah. true raspberries being incorporated in here Um, but but I it didn't throw me off enough where I didn't
2: like it. Yeah,
1: the chocolate came through. And um, as a porter, I could definitely, I mean, I see their branding here, uh, Bonfire Brewskis. I could mm-hmm. see drinking this next to a, a fire on a cold night.
0: Well, I could too. And I think that this is kind of the darkest of the pack. It'll be interesting to see in the second half how something maybe a little lighter yeah. uh, comes across. But nonetheless, I think, out of this, if, if the other two in this pack can be to this level, I think this would be a solid purchase for people.
1: Let's so. see if Sean's available, and uh, we're going to discuss another new release and open another one of these uh, Spetzel Brewery Shiner Bonfire Brewskis after the break. <laughs>
0: All right. Um, so <laughs> for, for the second half, I'm happy to say that we're going to have a, a friend joining us, a, a, a former guest, yeah. returning guest. Yeah.
1: Go back to the Weird Al uh, episode. Weird Al and 24-Hour Party People. And that was Sean McLean's first time on the
2: podcast. Sean, welcome back. Thank you for having me again. Obviously, I didn't do too bad of a job or you wouldn't have asked back
1: no no it's, that's right it has been <laughs> or, a,
2: or you're desperate for gas that's so. it yeah i was
1: gonna say it's been a horrible week to try to get a guest so we were like oh, i guess sean again <laughs>
0: quite quite the opposite no it
1: was this it was a fantastic performance so hey david let's open up the second yes. uh from the bonfire brewskis from shiner uh, also known as spetzel brewing uh, of course their flagship we talked about it earlier was shiner Bock. yeah uh this is their shiner toasted amber Um uh, It's a new beer from them. It's especially toasted malts for a brilliant copper color and and delightful toasty aroma. Full flavored yet refreshing. This amber lager has a slightly sweet crisp finish that'll keep you warm all night long. And it is a lager, David, so I know it already has points in your book.
0: Yes. (laughs) although i don't know how i feel but i'm curious i mean i guess with the bonfire tie-in the toastiness the, you know i don't know i'm kind of worried it's going to be smoky i don't know you've poured yours are you smelling smoke on the uh nose not not exactly no uh
1: smells like a lager to me okay sean uh, sean are you uh gonna be enjoying a beer the second half
2: no unfortunately i wasn't once again keeping up with the um Uh, a pattern here I was unable to obtain this beer yeah I was surprised absurd yeah it uh it was it might have been quicker for me to drive to Shiner Texas to try to find it in Houston yeah how does how is a
1: six pack of beer in Corpus Christi but not Houston that makes no sense from Shiner I mean
2: well I don't get it and you know I was joking with you earlier on the chat that it's it seemed to only be east of I-45, which is kind of a long way because I'm on the west side of of Houston.
0: Uh-huh. I,
2: I don't know why. Just looking at the the breakdown because I, I I use the Shiner Finder. Yeah. Uh, the, they have a beer locator, mm-hmm. uh, so you can see where this is. So you can go in there, punch in your zip code, and see if this one is is nearby. But um, I don't. So someday we'll sync up on the on the beers. Yeah, yeah. It, it'll I'll be, be just third your... times
0: the charm, right? We'll we'll get right. it right next time. Yeah.
2: Now, okay, so we're gonna discuss
1: Glass Onion, the new one from Ryan Johnson. We discussed knives out back on the back on episode such and such. Uh, but Sean, I, did you see this one on streaming, David? I watched it on Netflix.
0: No, so it just dropped on Netflix, right? Right, right before Christmas uh-huh. weekend. Um, big big release for Netflix, yeah. something that they definitely poured a lot of money into this, but they also did a small uh, roll out to theaters around the Thanksgiving holiday, and I happened to be in a larger market than this. I was up in San Antonio uh-huh. that that during that time, and I was able to go see it at the theater there um, while I was while I was staying up there. But it was not playing in our local theaters. It was very—I can't remember exactly how many screens. I think it was maybe under a thousand yeah. nationally.
1: But though. Sean, you saw it on
2: at the theater too. I did uh, the. The I guess two days after Thanksgiving uh, went on uh, on a Saturday and saw it, and it we did have to hunt a, a little bit even in Houston to find it. wasn't it, you know, it wasn't Every a super year, wide yeah. release, but we were able to find it. Packed house, um, and obviously, I mean the the word is it did very well during that short one week release.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think it had it had a great outing, which is, you know, it's kind of interesting as Netflix is, you know, obviously the pandemic changed things where these streaming platforms now could get some more content out or theaters became a little less restrictive about it. I think with Glass Onion, if I if I read correctly, this is the first time that AMC, Regal and maybe Cinemark were willing to participate with them in doing this kind of limited release while there was still going to be a very soon thereafter, you know, release mm-hmm. on their streaming platform. So, um, you, you know, maybe is pointing the way to like more of these films being made by Netflix and, and other streaming platforms, Hulu, you know, whatnot, uh, being able to have theatrical runs, maybe just a little in advance of when they'll be on the street or alongside that. Um, but but we'll see. Like like you said, Sean, I think in San Antonio it was only on a total of three screens. Which for a film with as much star power as this and as much, uh, I guess, build up. You know, Knives Out was an incredibly successful film. I expected to see it on a lot more than than what I was seeing there too. So yeah,
2: yeah, I did too. It was uh, yeah, we had to. It, it was more than three, but I mean, we definitely had to hunt to find the place where it would be, and and you know, then you're kind of limited. I, I think we all kinda have our our preferences, maybe certain brands, certain theaters, sure. certain locations. And you kinda have to put up with some of the uh, when you have fewer choices. I mean you don't have that problem with Avatar, you can go see that anywhere on the planet. But <laughs> but you know, this one you have to you have to deal with that that weird cinema that maybe you don't like going to as much. So <laughs> so so
1: daniel craig is back a new cast of characters and what seems to be the unveiling of what a a formula until they stop making these things this is is the second one how is it different than the first
0: so so yeah joe this you know just to give us a, a little brief synopsis here um glass onion picks up in the sense uh from knives out in the sense that it brings that same detective at the center of knives out benoit blanc played by daniel craig um, to, to many people's consternation with his changing or or, or somewhat uh strange southern yeah. accent. But you know, it's still there. <laughs> and uh Benoit gets invited to this sort of exclusive island that is owned by Edward Norton's uh tech guru kind of uh, you know, Elon uh, Musk yes, stand-in. Yeah. Absolutely. Um Miles Braun, mm-hmm. um played by Ed Norton. Um he's invited out there, not by Miles, we find out pretty quickly, but nonetheless invited there as Ben, as uh, Miles has assembled a number of his friends to have this sort of weekend of, of gameplay, right? They're gonna, they're gonna do a murder mystery, right? So perfect to invite this uh, world-famous detective to. Um, And his friends include um, the uh, Catherine Han playing Claire de Bella, the governor of the state of Connecticut at the time. we have, uh, Dave Batista, sometimes just known as Batista mm-hmm. from his wrestling days, um, as Duke Cody, he's kind of a, a streamer and also sort of a men's rights activist. Though so they don't really go into that as much. I mean, they kind of introduced that, yeah. but then it that doesn't really become a thing. Um, Kate Hudson as birdie J this kind of former, former supermodel who's now kind of just a influencer you know, influencer, right. right? General star. Um, and uh, and anyhow, these people come together. Also in the midst of uh, this is Janelle Monet playing. Uh, gosh, which which sister? Andy. Andy is Andy the sister that K- we're okay. Cassandra
2: and um,
0: Helen. Helen and Andy, right? So mm-hmm. um, we we only find out later about the twin, but right. but initially we think she's there as Andy Brand, who was at one time, part of Miles's circle, and in fact, even helped him start his company, was sort of a co-founder yeah. of his company, and then got kind of pushed out at a certain point. So, there, so there's some kind of gray area there where like, does she belong here anymore? She was part of this group, she wasn't. So all these people assembled um, to play this murder mystery game, Benoit having no prior connection to them, but nonetheless invited there. And what we see unfold is, yes, a murder mystery, but not exactly necessarily the murder mystery that uh, Miles had intended when he invited everybody there.
1: Yeah, we learned that uh, Benoit Blanc is bored when he, you know, he admits such on a Zoom chat at the beginning of the film with Aga, with um, Angela Lansbury and other, you know, famous <laughs> detective figures. Yeah, and the film is kind of, you know, if the first one was introducing not the universe because it seems like in these the universe is going to change the common throughput is that benoit blanc is just the best known detective that can solve these types of elaborate murders better than anybody else he is back but then they really twist and change the formula into what appears to be let's just really have a lot of fun with all of it the yeah. first movie was very very fun i think that's what was enjoyable about it can yeah. you yeah I didn't try to solve the case as I went, but this time I was kind of more aware of little trying to find clues to see if I could get ahead of the final reveal of what's actually happening. Right. I did not. And I quit doing that at some point during the the movie. Sean, what, what, did, what did you think compared to the first one? Were you a fan? You must've been a fan if you sought this one out.
2: I was. So interestingly, Knives Out was the last movie that I saw in the theater before the pandemic because it came out around, um, I guess it was late 2019. Yep. And then I saw it, my wife and I went and saw it at the, at the end of Christmas break or sometime or maybe in January, but it's in, and it's in that doldrums time where there's not a lot of movie new movies coming out January and February and just, with life and everything just we just didn't make it to the movies there was nothing to compel us to it and then the pandemic happens and we were out of the theaters for you know what was it two years or a year and a half before they started kind of opening things up again so it really left an impression not only the the movie itself because we really we both really enjoyed it and and were able to see it in the theater the first time and um I really connected with it with no expectations whatsoever other than knowing that ryan johnson made it you know i didn't know um you know this is going to be a series i don't know that anybody did but you know being the last movie that i saw in the theater i really enjoyed the theater experience and so it became a movie that i thought about a lot in the subsequent months and of course you know gotten high rotation on cable and things like that. And it's just, it's a, it's a movie I really enjoy, not even for the mystery itself. Uh, and I was kind of curious what what both of you, what your experiences with either uh mystery novels or mystery films. But um I'm not too concerned about, you know, the who done it. It's fun, but I, I I I like the ride more than the the reveal at the end if that makes sense so uh to the point where I remember one time I, I couldn't even remember who exactly what exactly happened in Knives Out just that I enjoyed it you know the Who Done It or, or anything like that so I was very excited to see this I was a little concerned going into it because it's in you know it's in Greece I believe on an island so bright so colorful compared to uh that grim kind of the mansion creepy, right in Massachusetts in the woods and everybody's kind of in You know, uh, like everybody's in like heavy sweaters and things like that. It's very, you know, kind of this cozy, uh, kind of creepy, but in a fun way vibe. And, uh, you know, I was a little concerned about that, but I I was super excited to, you know, to know this was coming out. It was really important to me that I see it in the theater uh, because of the previous experience and and really liked it, really enjoyed a lot the first the first time around well
1: i'm the i'm the odd man out that actually caught it on netflix after the release you know this past friday or whenever it was um gosh i mean we're watching a franchise be made i mean we are in the and, and it's different than say watching a franchise be made when uh sean you and i were kids you were a little bit younger david uh, uh indiana jones they made the Raiders right. of the lost art and it made so much money and was so popular that they made temple of doom although with that well and it, well like with this one because with with indiana jones i mean
0: i think they were basing it to some extent on these serials that you know spielberg and lucas had grown up sure, seeing. sure sure flash gordon
1: but my point was that was kind of the birth of the sequelization uh, of those mass right. produced fair sure, yeah. and now we're all grown up and so sophisticated, but to see it happening again, but with something that's not an action movie or a Marvel right. movie or is actually kind of interesting is this a thing is this a an amusement park movie for grown ups you know well i mean
0: it you know i i think the closest precedent here is you know obviously you have the tradition of you know sean brought up that like what do we think of murder mysteries in general like when we did knives out back on and i just looked it up episode 67 folks Mm -hmm. um we paired it with clue another kind of murder mystery although a a silly one actually kind of i think a little sillier than knives out Mm -hmm but both of them have comedic aspects to them. Both are set in, you know- Mansions. Exactly, isolated mansions, you know, like wealthy people. Yeah. So, um, you know, similar trappings. um, And, you know, Clue obviously was sort of playing around with some of the tropes of the murder mystery already itself in terms of what had been set forth by things like Murder on the Orient Express, right? The Agatha Mm -hmm. Christie. I mean, I think Hercule Poirot is probably the closest Right. you know, sort of predecessor to Benoit Blanc. Mm-hmm. So with Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, this was Sherlock Holmes exactly. Um, so there is this precedent for these I, the idea of a genre or or a franchise being built in this genre on a particular exemplary kind of detective character. Who, no matter the circumstances, can swoop in, and his powers of detection are so refined that he's able to sort of pick out things that nobody else notices and and put together, you know, connections that, it, which is, you know, what what was established in Knives Out and what we're seeing built upon here with uh, with Glass Onion.
2: It it should have been obvious in retrospect, I guess, but. Does it sound weird to say that Knives Out? I didn't even realize Daniel Craig was the main character, or uh, Benoit Blanc was the main character. Because (laughs) it was this ensemble cast. Right, you're right. And obviously he gets high billing, but if you look at everybody else in it, Michael Shannon, Jamie Lee Curtis, and I always sort of felt that Marta, uh, Anna D'Armas' character, was sort of the main character, if you will. I mean, she's sort of the protagonist. So. I didn't even really have the expectation there would be a sequel until it was announced that there was going to be a sequel, which does <laughs> just a kind of a sidebar thing. The naming convention of the movies now, I kind of, uh, uh, what is it officially? It's Glass Onion, a Knives Out
0: mystery. mystery.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's a little clunky. I almost felt like, you know, they could have gone Knives Out 2 the glass onion or does it doesn't um, it feel like he's
0: trying to avoid the putting it like just this is a simple sequel putting the two putting the three like i i feel like johnson guess, is maybe trying not to do that
2: and i'm a little cynical the about next the next one going to be a you know oh um, i have thoughts i have thoughts uh, i'm curious <laughs> well we're gonna see okay
1: well okay I, I'll, I'll get to that I enjoy- <laughs> Maybe it could
0: be a murder mystery on Pandora and James Cameron. Oh, there you go. Be, yeah, right.
1: Okay. Anything right. could happen. Uh, it's an Avatar. It's a Navi mm-hmm. Avatar of Benoit Benoit Blanc, which I kind of would like to see. <laughs> uh, Still with the accent. In he- and, and, and Avatar three, the mole tribe, because it's all going to be yeah. underground.
2: Um, I he did recently. Ryan did. Uh, Ryan John Ryan, like, were re- first name. Uh, but I heard him on uh, Mark Maron's podcast, and he talked about the third one being in space. He was. They were joking, yeah. of course. So.
0: Or are they, right? No. Right.
2: <laughs> right. I mean, maybe I, maybe the 10th iteration.
1: I, I had fun with this movie. Uh, it is a movie designed to have fun with. Um, yeah. And it's a movie designed for actors that you ha- admire or admired yeah. that maybe aren't working quite as much as they used to, some of them. Uh, having a chance to really chew the scenery, I'm thinking uh, specifically of Kate Hudson, who I'm such a big fan of and almost yeah. famous. Not so much her. Uh, subsequent Her rom com. Rom yeah. com career. But uh, it was nice to see her on screen and ha- having a lot of fun to play with. David Bautista, every time I see him, adds a layer of depth and ability to yeah. a wrestling career turned actor kind of thing. Yeah. I'm really curious to see what he does in this new M. Night Shyamalan movie. Um, yes. I mean, I could go around the horn. Edward Norton is an actor who is so frigging comfortable being comfortable on screen. I thought he did a great job in this too. Yeah, for the material that he had to do Absolutely. something. Like no, I think
0: you're right. I mean, it, it, what this carries over from the first one, and what it has, I think, always with these murder murder mystery films, it's all it's got to be an ensemble cast because you have to have a lot of suspects, right? You have to have a whole group of people who could have sure. potentially done this crime and we need to have little eccentricities they need to be characters right and i think here um with with knives out the first film you had a it was a family unit right and, and i guess their hired servant as well but you know like mainly a family group and they had their eccentricities and and their kind of inner squabbles um here you have this tight group of friends or this once tight group of friends right. who now have right. kind of gone to this phase of their lives where they're maybe connecting once a year for these kinds right. of and, events.
1: And one of them has become successful financially beyond any dreams anyone could have ever had. right And so right. the conflict here is that all of them in some way or another is dependent upon his wealth to continue their own career going right so, they're indebted to him. so there, there's the motive for everybody um a lot of them are resentful but don't show it until they're talking about him behind his back right. until they get the opportunity to show it uh, overtly and during the climax of the film when they all kind of turn on him at the end and you're not going to control us any longer and the gig the jig is up on mm-hmm. some of the things you've been doing um all all kind of really you, it has to be uniquely written the screenplay here is as convoluted and complicated as you would expect it to be given what they're trying to present which yeah. is a lot of red herrings a lot of loose ends but a single line if you were paying attention or watch it a second time to have figured out who did what
0: yeah yeah um it, so i think you know you've gone we've gone more elaborate with the setting here even though it is contained i mean they're on an island rather than in a mansion Um, but it's an elaborately decked out island, right? In terms of-
1: Playground of a super wealthy guy.
0: Yeah. um, You you know, when they first walk into that space, I guess it's his, I don't know what you call that, living room or like this great room that he has Mm -hmm. that they're in, where there are just all of these, you know, glass sculptures all all throughout it where where you're just, I mean, come on. The second you see it's like, how are all these going to get broken? And at what point? <laughs> you just, you know, like, there's no way yeah. you're showing me all this stuff, but it's, but it's dazzling. It's fun to see. um You know, I think this is a film that, you know, Sean, you, you brought up that knives out for you. I think as for many people was one of the last big films they saw at the theater before the pandemic really hit. And this is a film that was made during the pandemic and actually sort of wears that on its sleeve, right? There's mask wearing going on. These characters are in the pandemic. Um, They retreat to this island. And so they're able to kind of act normal, but they're they're essentially creating a little pod for themselves. Well, well, they're able to act
1: normal when five minutes on screen assistant to the Elon Musk character ethan hawk shows up and sprays them right. with some kind of magical super rich thing right, right. that that means that that they don't have uh, the potential of getting COVID anymore right.
2: <laughs> and you're fine no explanation you're fine. you're fine you're fine you're good you're good yeah. now
1: right <laughs> and, and, and ethan hawk i just when i saw him on screen not knowing that he would only be on for that one yeah, part i was yeah. like oh my god this movie just got better i i whispered to asa while we were watching it I, f- I fucking love Ethan Hawk. I love <laughs> Ethan Hawk. It's always great to oh, see yeah. him on screen.
0: No, you're you, absolutely. I mean, the, the cameos here, you already mentioned Angela Lansbury, Stephen Sondheim also. Show, so like two of these huge entertainment figures who it's really their last time on screen mm-hmm. happen to be... You know this film, um, Natasha
1: Leone, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right. Right. Yo-Yo that's, Ma. that's the Zoom meeting. Yeah, yeah. I those mean, eclectic couldn't be a more eclectic. And, and Serena Williams of right. as
0: the uh, personal trainer slash whatever hologram or <laughs> uh, right. video that's, screen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so it's it, obviously I don't know. The, the, Nine's out was a huge success, um, and one of those films that doesn't fit one of the. Predetermined successful formulas of our moment, like I said, murder mysteries aren't new, but they aren't necessarily the thing that burns up the box office normally right now. And so it was such a, I guess, novel, I think, um, you know, entertaining piece of film that I, I feel like Ryan Johnson really kind of, I mean, he he could probably write his own ticket at this point in terms of what he wants to do and who he wants to do it with. Um, especially, you know, but but that wasn't the case, maybe going in Knives Out, especially coming off of The Last Jedi. So, you know, it, it's it's interesting to see what he's able to do with that. And what he is continuing with this one is bringing together that great cast, um, which, like you said, Joe, I think last time with, with the first Knives Out, we had more kind of some of those veteran actors, Don Johnson, Jamie Lee Curtis, some people who we maybe hadn't been seeing on screen as much. Here, we kind of have some people who I think are maybe, know a mix but but some more who are on the come up i guess anna de armas is on the come up but uh janelle monet i feel like is just starting to get her due bautista while he's had the success with the guardians of the galaxy Mm -hmm. stuff i think like you said now he's going to be in the Shyamalan film he's got other stuff going on i i think he's somebody who's kind of on the ascendancy and so it's it's fun to see johnson able to pull together these really fun ensemble casts and what he's going to do with that. Now, where I do think this film to, to me, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I, I laughed a lot. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought Bautista was great. I was a little disappointed that maybe they didn't dig into that men's rights thing that, that he was kind of you know hinting yeah. at with his videos at the beginning, but nonetheless, I mean, you know I, I thought he was great. Um, you know, Speedo with a gun tucked into it. How can you beat that? Uh, We we have, you know, lots of great little things going on there where I think I still feel that Knives Out was the stronger film. The first one was a stronger film is that I think that family unit going into it was a more coherent one to me, or it was an easier one for me to understand, even though they were all characters who were eccentric in their own ways and had their own motivations. the family unit there made more sense to me off the bat than what happened with this group of friends where it eventually as it unfolds you come to understand well what was it maybe that drew these people together, but there was a certain kind of arbitrariness to all these people just happening to be together here at this time on this island that for a little while with the film, I was struggling to kind of piece together. Why are these people all coming together? Where are they? It, which I was never doing with the first Knives Out.
1: So Sean, did you see any I, d- diminishing returns?
2: Not really. I mean, I, I do, I do agree with you, David, that there's less. I mean, the first one, there's obviously a reason for them to be together. And when you meet, and I guess it's more of when you meet the friends in this group, uh, receiving their box one after another, you don't really understand what the connection is, and then you see they, they start talking as if they're friends. And you're like, why would Catherine Hahn's character even talk to Dave Batista's character at all? Because they're so they, – they, they just don't even seem like the same type of people who would hang out together in real life, let alone – being public figures they seem almost damaging to each other's brand agreed Um, right
0: her being a politician him being somebody who's kind of you know a fringe uh yeah
2: yeah character on alex jones kind of meets joe rogan kind of thing yeah and so but i do think as you get to know them and when you have the flashback um of to who they were and how they were friends early on um it does make a little bit more sense in sort of that um, kind of that pro wrestling thing of they act like they're enemies in the ring, but they're probably just friends and hang out and have no issues with each other in real life. You know, there's sort of, they're playing characters. Their celebrity is the character that they have developed a persona uh, for around their brand. And so they have no real issues with one another because they each understand that they're, they're kind of part of their own brand that they're pushing forward. So – but also you do see some tension. I mean um, uh, I can't remember who – when um, Duke shoots his crotch gun in the air uh, yeah. at the pool, somebody calls him an asshole at some point. And uh, by the way, that, that – there's a few things. There's some visual cues – where just that alone tells you so much about that character i mean the uh the gun holster on the bikini bottom thing just like with um uh, birdie's mesh mask. that's obviously it looks as if it's doing no good (laughs) at all
0: um
2: just love those little touches but i you know i i see what you mean the family in knives out made a lot more sense because family can be very diverse and have a lot of um, different personalities and a lot of conflict built in when you get a friend group. But I do think that's kind of the clever thing about it is it's a it's a friend group that's been friends for about 20 years and they've yeah. obviously diverged and it's created more tension for them to uh, have their knives out for each other, so to speak. Yeah. Um, how do you, so like with Knives Out, there's definitely standout. You know, when you go into Knives Out and you see who's on the poster, at the time, I didn't even know who, Anna was unfortunately but she's obviously the standout uh performer in it um but you have expectations and you see um uh you know don johnson who's great in the first one unexpectedly so to some degree chris um, evans chris evans uh michael shannon you expect certain things of them how did you feel like i, I feel like some characters in glass onion got a lot more attention and it's a long movie but i wonder if there's more you know if there's more that was cut out i feel like some um uh lionel doesn't feel like he gets quite enough going on at times i mean i know he's kind of the the scientist behind it but right right um i I feel like he didn't have maybe as interesting uh an arc um what what were your Guys' thoughts on, all, you know, kind of the ensemble part? Was it pretty balanced out to you or not yeah. as much?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, and, and I think that. To me, there were some characters that it felt like were were dropped in there. And I thought they might become more of something. Leslie Odom Jr. Is, as Lionel, I think, was one. You you pointed right. out nicely. Um, another, the Noah Segan character, the uh that kind of slacker character, Daryl, who just kind of wanders around the island and you know, I'm like, oh, okay, there's got to be something, but no, it's really just kind of a MacGuffin. That yeah. you know, like they're so, like, oh, yeah. you you think Visual he's going to be involved somehow, but yeah. no, he's just kind of a stoner who hangs out on the island. Yeah, well, he's
2: kind of, isn't he? Sort of Ryan uh, Johnson, sort of like, I guess I don't want to diminish it, like good luck charm, but he's uh, sort of like Greg Grunberg is that for J.J. Abrams? He right. puts him in some part, big or small, in everything he does. Is sort of a um, I don't know, just because they're, they're friends or, or, or whatever, but, yes. uh, but that character, that actor's in, uh, I think all of his other work in some, some capacity. He's one of the detectives in Knives Out,
0: right? You're right, which is funny because he's the only one who returns from Knives Out other than Daniel Craig. But he's not playing the same character, right? Right. And, and, right. And I was, right. but but that also had my head, had me scratching my head, where like, oh, are they going to reveal at some point that he actually is the trooper character <laughs> from, and that yeah. you know Benoit knows him or you know, but no, it was just you know he's playing right. a character in this film.
1: Yeah, I didn't intend on bringing up Indiana Jones to make even like a second point with it, but here you go. Here I can Here I go. The first movie was so unique. It, relatively speaking, it was of course drawing on the the films that you talked about earlier, David, that kind of crafted the genre before this, but a new modern twist. And uh, Indiana Jones, we said this uh, in the last couple of weeks, uh, probably when we did Die Hard. Like Die Hard and Raiders of the Lost Ark are they're tie, you know? Yeah, they're you way out. Yeah. Maybe maybe Terminator Two. Throw that in there for like the best action movies ever made. Why is Temple of Doom inferior? And since sequels have occurred, there has been a very famous conversation about how there's very few sequels that that eclipse the original. I don't think we even want the sequels to eclipse the original anymore. We're putting on these sequels like a sweater that feels good, you know? Yeah, right. And, and this right. film gives you, I guess, everything you're looking for. The, the witty banter, the stars, you know, The, the and, and you know that the third one is gonna be a new cast of stars. right? And you, I can expect, with everything we've seen in sequels and using Indiana Jones as a model, that one of the sequels, if there's more than two, one of the sequels will be uh, Benoit Blanc is invited to a case and there's a competing Benoit Blanc up and coming character. Right. And that becomes kind of the funny conflict of that movie. Then we're going to meet Benoit Blanc's father someday, because uh, he was the one that taught Benoit Blanc everyone that he knew, very much like um, The Last Crusade in the end. And I'm not even making a joke. I expect that these are the.
0: These are possible. Avenues. These are the. Yeah, yeah, yeah this yeah. is
1: the spitballing that's going on right. on the whiteboard somewhere in Knives Out, uh, Inc., yeah. and I, Knives Out Incorporated. I- I- Um, So, and I think that every single time they come on, me and Ace will sit down on Netflix, you know, in front of the couch, on the the couch, in front of the TV and watch it and enjoy it for two hours and then move on with our lives. But there being this increased, diminishing level of returns. I said after Crystal Skull that I was not, I'm done. I'm done with Indiana Jones. They totally stepped over the line. But this new trailer is out and I'm kind of excited. Well, to see and, it and too. also there, so. there's been, what, 15 years? So they, so you can, you can yeah. maybe, uh, a little water under the bridge. But, but- I can't tell you, I mean, in, in Temple of Doom, I can quote it. I love it in its own way. It's got some beautiful gore and some character development and... Uh, the actor from everywhere everything all at once oh, is the, getting the his due on, yeah. again so it's kind of fun to think about his role in, in in indiana jones and the temple of doom but it's just not as good as the first one and neither is this
0: yeah i i mean i i don't think there's to me i i know about the drop off between raiders and temple and i get it as a kid, I didn't. I was a little too young to really appreciate. I'm just like, it's fun. It's Indiana yeah, Jones. Sure. There's great lines. It's action.
1: Right. Um, but but shield watch- of monkey brains. One kid is not gonna yeah. eat that up? Well, and the pulling the heart out of the
0: chest. Oh, I mean, there, there's still some great beating, moments David. Still beating, yeah. and then it catches on fire. There you go. Uh, it so you know but here now I can see the inferiority I let you know again like how are you gonna top Nazis as the villains? How are you gonna take like it's just you know the Raiders had a lot going for it that but you know last crusade actually I think, kind of came back and and got closer to if not maybe even I mean for a lot of people that's but all I'm going to say is there I think there can be ups and downs in any franchise I know I believe we'll I see mean, ups and downs with this one we we've talked about the godfather but we have not talked about the godfather part 2 on the podcast mm-hmm. and many many people make the case the godfather part 2 is
1: an is a superior film to its predecessor. And let's make a pact right now that we'll never talk about Godfather Part 3. <laughs> well, I don't, know. I don't know if I'll go that far.
0: <laughs> but, but nonetheless, I would say yes, I do feel like the first film was a better film, but I don't feel like the drop off is as steep as between Raiders and Temple. I think to me, this is um, a good second step in this kind of building of a murder mystery franchise. I'm glad that it was successful at the box office for that short run that it got. It sounds like, I also listened to the interview with Marin uh, that you were mentioning, Sean, and it sounds like Netflix may even open it back up in theaters uh, for right. a little while like because mm. it did so well. Like now that it's out on the platform, maybe some theaters would want to pick it up and get some other people to, to see it. Um, I'd like to think that it could be part of that. I know there's going to be the third, right? Because the deal that he made with Netflix was to have two sequels with yeah. them. So there will definitely be a third coming along that, you know, is in the planning stages right now. And this
1: is perfect for Netflix. I mean, it really really is because it will guarantee eyeballs on the screen that opening weekend every single time he puts one of these out for the for, you know, not to you know for, for at least one or two right, more. Right. And what's cool
0: about
2: it right. is like like you were saying, Joe, it's going to be a whole different set of characters. Well, that's That's the fun speculation that uh, if you're following it on Twitter, who's who's the dream cast for the next the next one? And it's it's there's almost it's it's almost going to become sort of an art to it. You know, find, you know, a celebrity, you know, celebrities of a certain age or a certain generation, the up and comer kind of a mix of uh, different people. You know, what's going to make the next eclectic? uh grouping because that's that's the key is we have to have a a, an interesting group of actors uh, be assembled for the next one i do think though you know it it's impossible not to compare to one thing to the other Uh, i do think from a sequel standpoint i think the strength of this movie is that one of the things that i think sequels do especially when uh, when it's obvious a franchise is trying to be built if you go back to your uh, Temple of Doom uh, reference, Rares of the Lost Ark famously was Spielberg and Lucas's uh, opportunity to do a James Bond. They, they wanted to do it. I don't remember the details of it, but they, they weren't going to be able to do it. And they said, fine, we're going to make our own James Bond-type character. And so when you get to the sequels, they start you start seeing a certain pattern of things that have to happen in a Indiana Jones movie, kind of like with a James Bond film, you have to have the barrel of the gun. You have to have that, just like in uh, Indiana Jones. There's uh, in the Temple of Doom. There's the opening action scene that has nothing really to do with um, the main story of the plot, like they did in, in you know Raise the Lost Ark at the uh, the beginning uh, in South America, uh, going in the temple and everything like that. I think um, – and then they do a similar thing in the third one with the um, – uh, Flashback? The Flashback with River Phoenix. And even in the fourth one, the best part of the fourth one is they're in uh, – I think it's Area 50, uh, 51. Yes, in, yep. In, yep. Yeah, and uh, – a a, pretty it gets in point. the
1: refrigerator.
2: Right. Uh, well, uh, okay, up until that point, it's a pretty cool – uh, sequence the way I remember it, just you know, being in that vault where all the where all the uh, the warehoused artifacts are, you know. So you have you have to have this opening montage that has nothing to do with anything, and really, Glass Onion didn't have a lot of oh well, here comes the part that it at least not that I remember. You know, there's a big flashback. There's a lot of there's uh, a lot of mystery tropes like twins. Um, you know, lights going out unexpectedly or expectedly, I guess in this case. I didn't feel like it, um, it was mirroring the first movie, you know, beat by beat. It was kind of being its own thing. You got a little bit of window into Blanc's uh you know his home life, his life beyond. that's true. Um, it also he's I mean you have, I, I, I re-watched Knives out recently uh, in, in anticipation of this. And you don't get uh, as much insight to who Benoit Blanc is as a character because again he's he feels more like he's part of the ensemble, and now this is his main yeah uh, he's the main character in this in this he'll he'll be uh, the film. through
1: line for, in, into number three and right Blanc. yeah
2: yeah but yeah
0: I so I you know I, I think it it's it's to me I'm welcome a franchise like this sure. that is entertaining, not CGI driven, mm-hmm. not superhero driven. Yeah, um, that, right. that really is kind of a, an opportunity with each film to bring together a different grouping of people. Again, with Daniel Craig as, as Benoit Blanc being that kind of unifying kind of through line, I guess, as well as Segan, it'll be interesting to see where he uses him <laughs> next time. If he'll always be a stoner walking through, Funny. probably not. Um, but But nonetheless, I think it's a novel Version of the modern franchise that I'm excited for, and I really, I mean, we've we've reviewed Looper on the podcast, we've mm-hmm. reviewed Knives Out. Um, I, I like Ryan Johnson yeah, a lot, and, and I'm not even a hater on The Last Jedi, no. which, which may lose me some some cred here with with uh, some of our listeners, but you know, to me, he's somebody who loves filmmaking, who loves storytelling who just wants to entertain his audience and find novel ways to do it. I mean, Brick, we haven't reviewed on the podcast, but I think Brick was one of those films that when I saw it really kind of surprised me with how different it was. And, uh, and, and so to think that somebody like that has found ways in Hollywood to work within the system, but to get some fun stuff, interesting stuff. And I think there are some interesting messages here. I mean, like the, it may not be, Super heavy handed, but, th- but there's something going on here about entitlement, white privilege, mm-hmm. uh, you know, th- th- things that are kind of, I don't think he's hitting you over the head with it. I don't think he's, you know, sort of making that the primary thrust of the film, but it's there. And, and he has, I think, a good sensibility of how to balance both the social commentary and what he's trying to do just to entertain the audience.
1: Well, Sean, can you hang out with us after the episode's over and uh, join us after hours? Absolutely. Oh, I love right. it. Sean, thank you so much for being here today and uh, joining us remotely to discuss Knives Out. Uh, you did not get a chance to taste this Shiner Toasted Amber Lager. I don't think I mentioned at the top that it's a 4.5 ABV, which is what I would expect from Spetzel. They're not trying to really knock you over the head. with. No, them. they don't tend to go... <laughs> Toasted amber lager. It's the toasting that makes it a little darker than a, a lager that we would typically pour. W- what did you think, David?
0: I was impressed. I, I was, mean, I it, was too. So I- to me, I'm not a big amber guy. Um, and I, I said, I was a little bit worried going in just with the toasted, is that going to come out smoky? We're, we're in this bonfire brewski six pack. Mm-hmm. Is, am, am I going to start getting that like Rajan beer kind of. And and that's not the case. It no. is not a smoked malt. It is toasted. And it, if anything, it kind of brings in a little bit more of a bready character
1: to it, I think. Um, But really easy to drink. Yeah, I mean, Shiner, Spetzel Brewery, Spetzel? Let's say Spetzel is then the noodle, the German noodle, right? (laughs) I think so. (laughs) It is uh, is a beloved entity here in Texas. And some of their seasonals, the Ruby Red Grapefruit, they Mm. do a Christmas, and people look forward to those. I typically... I might have one a season, but I, yeah. I'm not looking for that. I don't go after it. I know there are some people that are listening to this podcast that do. This um, Bonfire Brewski mixed six-pack, yeah. I'm going to say, if you see it at the grocery store, Sean, sorry, this doesn't apply to you, then <laughs> pick it up. $10 for these, for the three, you know, yeah. the yeah. two each of yeah. three different beers. and We tried two today, and this Toasted Amber, it's... I, I i enjoy
2: it i mean yeah. i'm enjoying it
1: yeah very good well have you
2: covered Spetzel in the in the past some of their other brews i
0: know we have I'm, yeah. i don't know how extensively uh we'll look it up yeah, real quick. we'll uh oh, it looks like we have maybe three times we had their homespun cream ale we had the shiner day quencher session ale and then a little more recently, recently. we had the uh, tex hex Brujas
1: brew ipa yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, we have not had their flagship, the Shiner Box. No,
0: I guess we'll save that for a special case. We'll Do that someday. There's got to be like a film that has
2: a, a good Sh- box. Should have done it when we did Lamb. Yeah. It, uh, it appears prominently in Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two. Oh, uh, right. Shiner. So, but I, but now whether you want to cover that or not is. <laughs> the <film> I, <laughs> I, I think we, we've we've done the first. I think at some point maybe
0: we'll have we'll have to do the sequel. And maybe you'll join us.
1: Even if just an excuse to do shiner
0: box. Right. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, you know, it's it's always a lot of fun talking to you, Sean. Thank you for coming. Uh and and Joe, it's always fun to talk with you as well. But it's especially fun to talk to y'all who are listening. And that's the best thing about this podcast is that the conversation doesn't end with the podcast. You can find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook. We're there. Uh you can find us on Instagram. We're there on Twitter. I still, we don't use Twitter and, and why don't we act? Uh, and you can join us on our chat on discord that we do use. And I do highly recommend it's if a lot you're of listening, jump on there. Um, it, you know, it's under the name beer in a movie. The conversation continues. Um, lots of fun going on there. People sharing uh, movies they're watching, memes they've found, uh, you know, wh- wh- food they're cooking, all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff. Um, we've also mentioned that we were going to extend our conversation today for the podcast. Um, just the three of us and our Patreon subscriber only after hours bonus episode. So please, if you'd like to check that out, just go to patreon.com beer and a movie podcast. Um, you can sign up. It's it's cheap, five bucks a month. And you can be listening to those extra bonus episodes where we talk about a range of things that certainly uh, may have a basis in film and beer, but uh, but go far beyond that. Also, we know you're listening on your favorite platform for podcasts, but before you leave that platform, if it allows you to rate, review, subscribe, please do that. Um, We hope you'll make your review a five-star review or whatever the highest rating is on the platform you're looking at so that the algorithm can do what it do, do what it do. That's right. And put us out there as an option for more listeners. You've just experienced another, well, how do I put it? I guess- mysterious but also quite debaucherous and uproarious episode
1: of Beer in a Movie. Until next time. I ain't icing my nipples. This is natural.